What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, of course, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And today we have another exciting episode lined up because we are reading through chapters 9 through 13 of Gene Wolfe's Shadow of the Torturer. This is our third episode on the Book of the New Sun. I have had my mind increasingly blown again and again and again, and I'm looking forward to a lot of what Drew has to tell me to open my eyes and blow my mind even more. So, Drew, nice and short and quick right into it. What happened between chapters 9 through 13? This week's selection from The Shadow of the Torturer sees Severian make his visit to the house Azure. He and Drott are greeted by the master of the house, an androgynous man in yellow robes who sits in a throne as the ladies of the house present themselves. Severian is struck by their beauty, but immediately chooses the one who looks like Thecla. While they go up to her room, however, the illusion is shattered and Severian threatens to strike her. She convinces him not to, and he works to, quote, master reality and believe that she is Thecla, at least for the moment. Afterward, the master of the house Azure smiles at Severian and shows him a phallus-shaped vial, which unnerves him. Over the next months, Severian spends most of his time with Thecla, reading and talking. On one occasion, Severian describes Thecla making a move on him, but Severian flees her cell. As the end of winter nears, Severian is called to meet with the masters of his guild. They tell him that the time has come for him to choose. Will he swear his oaths and become a member of the guild for life, or will he choose to leave them forever? Despite misgivings, Severian promises to be a faithful torturer, and he is thusly raised to journeyman at the Feast of Holy Catherine. After a feast and getting drunk on wine, Severian is carried back to his new quarters and has some wild dreams. Soon after, a new client is delivered to the guild. Severian is tasked with bringing her to an empty cell and decides to place her next door to Thecla so they can talk. While he's doing that, however, Thecla calls him a sweet boy and Severian becomes angry about it. He goes up to Master Gerlo's office and there finds orders for Thecla's excruciation. Excruciation! Mm. The next day, Severian is called to help with that task. Master Gerlo's shows Thecla many of the torture devices before having her take her place on one called the Revolutionary. After the torture, Severian visits Thecla in her cell, where her body is attacking itself. Severian leaves her with a knife, which she uses to kill herself. He then turns himself in, admitting what he did. After ten days of being held as a prisoner, Master Palaemon gives Severian his sentence. He is to be exiled and sent to Thrax, the city of windowless rooms, to be their lictor. Severian gathers his things and steals one of the books from Thecla's cell before returning to see the master. Yeah, that that happened. Mm-hmm. All of that happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to start this off with a disclaimer and say that I've had a rather long work day. I didn't really have time to organize any of my notes. I'm going off of a lot of very, uh, very brief knee-jerk reactions that I have written down on my phone here. I don't have my categories nicely compartmentalized like I normally do with style and character, language. We'll be getting into language today because once again, I have learned about a dozen new words. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so let's just get right into it. Uh, Throw a style point at me, my friend, since I'm sitting here just looking at a wall of text. Yeah, so this segment of the book marks a a pretty significant shift that we're going to see going forward where the chapters up through now have been jumping through time pretty quickly. Uh, we'll, we'll slow down for a scene here and there, but lots of times he'll open a chapter by saying, you know, like a month passed or a year passed. And, you know, and from here on out, we're not getting that anymore. We are in the story now. Once Severian uh, helps torture Thecla and once she kills herself and, and he's exiled from the guild, now we are into the story of Severian the, the main story of the Book of the New Sun. And pretty much for the rest of this book, it's going to take place over the course of just a couple of days. Uh, mm, okay. And so we're going we're gonna to see, I think, an increase in the pace of the story. Uh, I'm curious to see going forward if you agree. Because while, like, that, that may sound... Uh, counterintuitive since we just I was, I was gonna yeah like we just covered that. several years in 13 chapters and now we're gonna cover cover a couple of days in 
23 chapters, but the events move at a faster clip um, as Severian leaves the Citadel. But the other, the other big uh, style thing, and, and we're going to talk some tropes here. And okay. this is going to be an ongoing thing, uh, this specific trope and how Wolf uses it in relation to other things. And that is the idea of dreams in fantasy. Now, we've seen okay. dreams used in a lot of other things. You know, uh, I'm sure jumping straight to mind it, it are the dreams in the Wheel of Time. You, know, mm. uh, you get, you get uh, prophetic dreams there. You also get dreams as a like an alternate reality imparting new abilities on people like we see in the dream world or in in the fade in Dragon Age or something like that. And then you can you can get dreams that really just serve as memories as flashbacks. And we see things like that in the Book of Boba Fett, for instance, or or even uh, Locklands by Robert Jackson Bennett. We we saw some dreams there that provided historical context and then you get things like alice in wonderland or, or the wizard of oz or even inception uh possibly inception the the trope mm. of it was all a dream right you know that we tell a whole story and it seems okay. utterly fantastic and unbelievable and then at the end they wake up and it's like oh yeah none of that actually happened what wolf is doing with the dreams here is completely unlike any of those uh, it's it's tempting to look at those dreams as either memories or uh, as prophetic dreams, but really they're just there to to confuse us, to confuse Severian. They're there to give us hints about the greater world and story, but they're not explicitly prophetic dreams. Like we're we're not gonna we're not gonna have like. I don't know. Uh, so there, there are several dreams he has, right? He he gets brought back to his room, and uh, and first he dreams that the the young woman who is who played Catherine in the feast, like comes to his uh -huh. room, and and you know, and he wakes up and and there's nobody there. Uh, he, you know, he goes and he, he checks the door and, and, and there's no one there. And then he lays back down and he smells Thecla's perfume. Mm -hmm. And he thinks, oh, the, the false Thecla, the, the prostitute Thecla must have come. And he gets up and he, and he goes and opens the door and there's no one there. And then he throws up and he has a whole philosophical thing about throwing up about being sick from from drink and then and then he says no doubt i slept i saw the chapel but it was not the ruin i knew the roof was whole and high and straight and from there it hung and from it there hung ruby lamps the pews were whole and gleamed with polish the ancient stone altar was swatched in cloth of gold behind the altar rose a wonderful mosaic of blue but it was blank as if a fragment of sky without cloud or star had been torn away and spread upon the curving wall. You know, and then he goes on to talk about how this blue is much, much brighter blue than he's used to because the sky where mm. in his time is so dark blue as to be nearly black because the sun is dimmer. Uh, and then, you know, and then he says he wakes up because in his sleep, he heard footsteps outside. And he recognized the footsteps, but of course couldn't recall whose footsteps they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and by the description, we we are given to understand that it's Triskel, that it's the dog. Mm -hmm. And then he, the final dream, even though he thinks he's awake, is the door opening and Master Malrubius, who has been dead since Severian was a young child, pokes okay. his head in. So that was still a dream at that point. That is totally that is what we are given to understand. Okay, because that was my end of chapter eleven response was a lot of expletives in all caps going that was creepy and then doing a lot of swearing. Um, yeah, 
I was, and I had planned to ask you about that later in the episode too. Yeah. Was... Now the the tricycle and Master Malrubius thing we'll talk about later later in the book, uh, and later in the series, really. Um, but we, as far as we know, these are all dreams. Like he, clearly, things are are weird going on here. He thinks he's awake several times when things happen in this chapter that cannot be happening. You know. Like, obviously, Thecla or the prostitute Thecla was not in his room. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, the the girl, the Catherine actress, was not in his room. And obviously, a dead man didn't, like, open the door and poke his head in. And well, That's... You know. Yes, that was so creepy and interesting. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, at this point, when he was... At this point, he was in his bed waking up, and he was explaining how confused he was, how he had looked towards the door. I'm getting this image of him squinting his eyes in sleep. So at that point, I'm taking I'm taking it for granted. Oh, so he's finally woken up, and this is the last big turn. Is that this one he was awake for? Mm. And I'm like, oh no, what is happening? What kind of shade? What kind of creature is haunting this entire thing now? No, okay, he's still now, he's still dreaming. That that may be because it's not explicitly stated here. He thinks he's awake for it. We are given to understand. I should have yeah. Uh, as readers. Wolf expects us to to read it as this is another dream. It's just he woke up in his dream, you know. Question for you. Have you ever experienced this yourself? Where you have been having a nightmare or a dream, an awkward, really weird, off-putting dream, and then you wake up and turns out you're not awake. You're still dreaming and it just goes on and gets weirder. Have you had that? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I've had it a few times as I've well. definitely had um, uh, like stress dreams where that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, often with like, if I had a a speech or a test or something like that, um, for school, I would have a dream where like my teeth are falling out. My teeth are breaking. Oh, I've had those ones. Awful. Spraying blood from your mouth and stuff like that. They're just like crumbling. Terrible. Um, and then I'll wake up and go about my school day. And like, for some reason at school, the speech was canceled. Or we didn't have to do the test. Or the homework wasn't due today. And then I actually wake up and realize, no, I am going to school today and I have that test or I have to do that uh, speech. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely woken yeah. up inside a dream. <clears throat> yeah. I had one through multiple. I was like five years old. and I had Kermit the Frog chasing me through portals, through <laughs> the, the reality after reality in a, in, in a portal on my bedroom wall. Kermit the Frog. I was afraid of Kermit the Frog for like five, five to six years after that too. <laughs> it wow. was pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. There's a little thing you didn't know about me. Everybody who's listening to this knows that now. So fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> but dreams, dreams really are fascinating, and in the the manner in which every writer chooses to approach dreams is something I'm always interested to see something I'm always interested to experience what Mm -hmm. is it that a new author or not a new author but an author that is new to me going to bring to the table that I haven't seen done before um a whole like this whole chapter was quite the trip and I mean that in all of its various clever implications yeah Uh, but so then again so is this whole book turning up to be so (laughs) I'm not sure what to think right now (laughs) Yeah, like so. So How's that for word salad? For myself as a writer, I find I find myself avoiding writing dreams into my own stories because I they feel to me often like a, a crutch or a shortcut um, where I'm like I can I can get this idea across better or I can do something more interesting, but I realize as I've been thinking about this a little more critically over the past few days, because I'm thinking about this sequence in particular, mm-hmm. that that's kind of a lazy like reaction on my part that dreams are using dream sequences in, in books is not inherently a bad thing. Now I do think the, it was all a dream trope is a terrible storytelling device ah. and I never want to do it, but, but I don't, like I, I can think of many examples of dreams being used effectively and used well in books like this, you know, uh, for different purposes. And I don't know why when I'm writing my own stories, I have this sort of knee jerk reaction to avoid them. It's interesting. It's interesting. 
I've never. I don't know. I love. I, I get excited. I'm. I'm. When I'm approaching dream sequences, in my writing, um, it's probably for me one of the easiest things to read. And I think I'm taking. I'm. I'm taking a shortcut. I'm kind of cheating because in a dream sequence, things don't really need to make sense. You have a lot of elbow room, for lack of a better term, um, mm-hmm. as a writer. Things that don't even. I mean, everybody knows that dreams, in a lot of ways, make so little sense that your sentences could be off in such a in such a manner that it, you, you, you can still always claim that this, this is a dream scene. Um, I don't know. It mm, is interesting. It's yeah, interesting. I mean, Wolf certainly Wolf does went... not take that. He yeah. goes straight into the, let <laughs> me explain to you <laughs> uh, what I can do with this. Like, like the, some of the passages in this chapter and in the, the, the part as a whole have, have just continued to blow my mind. I mean, I'm, yeah. just, I'm still reeling from what I'm reading and... I'm still going over it again and again and again. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, yes. I'm very glad to hear that. Um, uh, but yeah, so this idea of dreams and how he uses them, dreams. I because this first dream sequence, this first big dream sequence, uh, is a really ephemeral one. Like It's hard to get a grasp yeah, on what's happening and why word. this is here. Why is Severian telling us this? Why is he including this in his story? Because he's the one writing this, right? He's the author of the book of the new son in, in the, mm. you know, in narrative. Most reliable conceit. narrator of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but as we go through this, we're going to get more dream sequences and the usefulness of them to the story is going to be clearer in some of them than it is in this. And I just, like I want us to kind of keep this one in mind and and refer back to it as we go through the book and go through the series. Hmm. How about Dresden Files? How do you feel about dream sequences in the Dresden Files? Without spoiling, obviously. For anybody who's listening, no worries. I can imagine that would have just been meh to you because he uh, Butcher used those for a lot of dialogue and jokes, I feel like. Which is totally fine. I'm on board with that. But I, feel I can like see I'm, you not quite being... I'm having trouble remembering too many of them. Like, I remember a couple of them with uh, with Leshiel. But uh, other than that, I can't really... Like, there aren't any dreams that are... Ego? Yeah, oh, that's true. Dark the Harry. alter ego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah those I'm are like, just uh, so much more straightforward. That's what I mean. And I feel like... It's like exposition. Comparing these two and how Butcher uses them... Versus mm-hmm. the, the manner in which Gene Wolfe uses them. I yeah, that's a com- being another a bit of a another example, another use that I didn't even have listed in my uh, my notes there. Like, well, the way for Butcher uses dialogue? it is for is for like world building exposition purposes, like teaching us something that mm. and teaching his character something that the character didn't either didn't know or didn't realize he knew. Um, yeah, yeah. So for a lot of- self and like personal conflict i love yeah interesting yeah but yeah dream sequences they're in okay I, i'm actually glad to hear that we are going to get more because mm-hmm. i'm also looking forward then to trying to predict certain things decipher certain things perhaps as i come across them i'm going to be looking out for that yeah oh boy yeah um so let's see here. Uh, do you have any other style notes to talk about? Style points. I do not believe so. Um, the crowd, the creepiness. We went over that in the dream bits. No, no. I have so many words I want to get to, but other than that, no, I don't. <laughs> My style points are are still, I imagine, going to be a lot more uh, coming in future episodes. I can't even articulate what I'm trying to say today. But yeah, I imagine I'll, I'll have more style points going forward as I kind of marinate, you know, okay. <laughs> in this world. Uh, well, so I only have one big style point left. And that is, uh, in this segment of the book, is the seed from which the whole book of the New Sun originally sprung. Uh, as I understand it, Wolf originally set out to write a short story called, like, The Feast of Holy Catherine. And... As he was writing this story, he got the bigger idea to write the entire book of the new song. Um, and, and so if we, I I assume these are going to be things that you were not aware of. Uh, you're not a 
you're not Catholic. You're not a, a much of a religious mm. scholar, uh, religious history scholar. No. Yeah, um, so that, yeah. Holy Catherine as uh, the, the patron of the guild of the, the guild of the seekers for truth and penitence, the torturers, she is a, a real saint, or I should say a, a real world saint, St. Catherine of Alexandria, although it's spelled with a C rather than a K as it is in, uh, the book of the new sun. Uh, and the details in this, uh, in, in the feast are very similar to the story of St. Catherine of Alexandria. Uh, she was a, a young girl who in, in the story of her, and I'm going to get to why I keep kind of hedging here at the end of this in her story. Uh, she's a young girl who converts to Christianity during, uh, you know, the reign of the Roman empire. And, she is so persuasive that she starts converting lots of other people. And the emperor Maxentius imprisons her and tortures her. And she is attended to by angels and, and is given promises by God to stay strong and she will be rewarded, that kind of thing. And uh, there's part of this story is that when they finally open her cell door, it smells of perfume, which I think... Uh, is interesting that immediately oh. following this feast, oh. Severian smells Thecla's perfume in his cell, uh, in his room. Um, but so she's taken out uh, and Maxentius orders her killed on a wheel, on the Catherine wheel, and the wheel breaks. And then he orders her beheaded and she forgives the executioner who beheads her. So, I don't even know what a Catherine wheel is. Uh, so basically, it, the torture device is like a person is stretched like uh -huh. around the outside of a wheel, so your joints are like. Um, okay, never mind. I've played yeah. Outlast. Okay, yep. yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, and then you're just beaten to death on that, basically, and it's easy for your joints and limbs to break. Uh, anyway, so so that story has obviously been twisted in some ways, but it has survived many thousands of years on earth. Mm -hmm. And, and this is, uh, a, a storytelling conceit that we've seen used in the wheel of time, the opening words of the wheel of time of each book, you know, the, the, how, how things happen yeah. and then become legend and legend fades to myth and myth. et cetera, et cetera. And, and so much of the wheel of time, we, we have these repeated instances of, the truth being obscured through time, but a grain of it remaining in stories. And here Wolf is playing with that. And, and I think that's like throughout the whole story. You know, I brought up in the first episode, how all the characters, all the human characters in this are named after saints, but it's, it's dangerous to assume that a saint's story, real world story is going to mirror their character arc in or, or give any real insight into their character in the book of the new sun that sometimes it will inform what could happen with them, but not in a reliable way. And that's because Wolf is playing with this idea of, uh, you know, truth being lost in time. And I'm not saying that like, these people are named in world the way they are because they're like somehow many thousands of years descendants of, of the real stories. But Wolf is playing with that on an authorial level and saying, I'm aware of from whence these names come and I'm going to give you signifiers, but I'm also going to do my own thing with the characters in the story. Mm. The bold. Yeah. Very yeah, clever. I'm not going to lie. I totally forgotten that you had uh, revealed that to me last episode that all of the human characters are named after real world saints or at least have yes. you know, biblical correlates so yes i totally forgot that until you had just brought that up again and my eyes slowly went wide and i was like that's right that was another entire filter through which i just had to forget uh, just left behind for myself i'm gonna have to write that down in this one on my notes here to remember that for my next read it's interesting yeah. All caps here. Anyway, 
Okay, so, um, speaking of for each character, uh, characters, do you have any character, po- or are we uh, finished with style? Anything else you uh, want to juggle for the moment? So, we can finish with the big style thing, and let's go into our, uh, our fancy words segment. Ah, yes. Okay. Okay. I can contribute significantly more to this. Yeah. Because, ha, I know few, far fewer words. So, <laughs> let's begin. First, and I have at least half of these definitions open here, architrave. I've never heard that word before. An architrave is the lintel or beam that rests on the capitals of columns. Still didn't make much sense to me, but I'm looking at it right now. All right, let's... Yeah, the main beam that rests upon the capital or top of a that column. Is... Yeah. A-R-C-H-I-T-R-A-V-E oh, yeah, okay. A-R-C-H-I-T-R-A-V-E, for anybody who's listening. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sip some tea here because I am congested. <laughs> all right are we going on or are you gonna jump on architrave um no I, I i was just looking up in the book where that's used and it's in the description of the kind of the antechamber of the house azure where uh we have a description of columns that are mm-hmm. like false columns to make the room appear bigger than it is yeah um a lot, of, a lot of the environment and a lot of the, the, the world building and the descriptions and, and the, the ceremony we... Ah, that might have been a style point. It's so it's so colorful. It, it, it really is. Um, but yeah, architrave. For, for reasons like this, because he uses such incredible words. Limpid. L-I-M-P-I-D. Oh, yeah. In context of describing someone's eyes. This is of a person's eyes unclouded mm-hmm. or clear. Uh... Paphion? Paphion? P-A-P-H-I-O-N. Ooh, I... That is one that I don't know. Uh, let's no. look that one up. Uh, turns out Google doesn't either. I just actually forgot this third out of several tabs I have opened. I'm up. not surprised. There will it. be words that you have to really search for. <laughs> um, <laughs> Paphion. Paphion. Pertaining to love, especially pertaining to or devoted to unlawful sexual indulgence. From the Greek Paphos, ancient city of Cyprus that was a center of Aphrodite worship. Belonging to the class of prostitutes. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. All right. (laughs) Uh, Anacreontic or anacreontic. A-N-A-C-R-E-O-N-T-I-C. Anacreontic diversions. Uh, convivial and amatory after the manner of the Greek poet Anacreon. Mm. I'm looking at uh, Anacreontics. Oh, I'm looking at Anacreontics, which are oh yeah, so basically in a meter used by the Greek poet. Okay, got you, got you. Yeah. And and it's describing um, basically in, in this context, uh, the sentences some days passed before I could rid my thoughts of Thecla of certain impressions belonging to the false Thecla who had initiated me into the anacreontic diversions and fruitions of men and women. So this is a, an adjective, a sexual. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Mm. This one blew my mind. I had to read this one nine times and I was like, that, uh, okay. I, I didn't even know. I didn't even want to look this up because I didn't know how. All right. And I have yeah. the quote. This one takes an entire sentence. She used to pursue the peccary with pardon limers. Uh, yeah. What under God do any of those words mean? I just wrote, seriously, I just wrote, uh-huh? <laughs> Question mark. Uh, what what's... the hell? Peccary is a wild pig, small but very aggressive. Can be oh, found in okay. herds as large as 20 or 30. Pardon, or parding. P-A-R-D-I-N-E. Uh... Pardine limers, leopard-spotted hounds hunted on the leash so that they will not overtake the wild pigs before hunters do. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> Alright. Interesting. Interesting. Alright. Hmm. <laughs> Ep- epopped. Epipped. Epopped. E-P-O-P-T. Oh, epopped. Epopped. Um, yeah. Uh, plural. An initiate in the highest grade of Eleusinian mysteries. Eleusinian? What the f is that word? Eleusinian. Eleusinian. E L E U S I N I A N. A beholder. Yeah, a person fully initiated into the ancient Greek 
Eleusinian Mysteries and Initiate. Yeah. Huh. Yes. That's not a word uh, I have ever seen outside of this text either. <laughs> Chrism. C-H-R-I-S-M. Ah, see, that one I did know because I'm Catholic. Uh, Chrism ah. is a holy oil used for anointing. Got you. But, of yeah, course, well, in the torturer's to... case, it is blood. Yeah, okay. Anagnost. Mm-hmm. A-N-A-G-N-O-S-T. Uh, it's a kind of... Uh, I don't remember exactly, but it's a kind of uh, religious... Um, uh, I have it here. A cleric in the first yeah. of the minor orders of the Eastern Church who reads, who reads lessons aloud from the epistles or the Old Testament in the liturgy. Liturgy? I don't even know how to pronounce that word. Uh, liturgy, yeah. A reader, oh, a prelector, one employed to read aloud, the reader of the lessons in church. Mm. Yeah. Sabertash. That one was cool. I figured it out from context. Yes. It was just cool. And I you're going to see that word. word a lot going forward. <laughs> Good. Good. I want to use that word. That's a really badass yeah, it's, word. It's like a large, um, like, hip pouch, basically. Cool. Cool. And yeah. my last for today... And this is going to be impossible to pronounce. I'm going to pronounce it as I would in French, just looking at it phonetically. Kike. C-A-I-Q-U-E. C-A-I-Q-U-E. Yes. C -A, -I -Q -U -E. a light boat or skiff propelled by one or more rowers. I imagine there's a horribly butchered anglicized word way to pronounce that, which would be like kak or kike. Yeah, I kike. would say kike is, or kike mm. would be how I pronounce that. They actually do not have a pronunciation for it in um, in Lexicon Earthus, which is interesting because they have they have pronunciations for some words, but huh. not all. Oh, that um, wraps up my new words for this week. Five chapters. What was that? Like twelve words? Ten words? Good uh, stuff, man. I'm surprised there was one that you didn't uh, have. Which one? Let me pull this up. Kaibit. K-H-A-I-B-I-T. Um, that's what I the, that uh, the lookalikes, the prostitutes in the House Azure, are described as kaibits. It's, yeah, K-H-A-I-B-I-T. Oh. Um, I'm right now. Ancient Egyptian beliefs the Kaibit was a shadow of a person and acted as a subconscious. And then it goes off. Wait, hold on. This is. Wait, what? Dark Stockopedia. Nope, that's not what I want. Oh, yeah. And the fourth one down is a Gene Wolfe one on Reddit. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. the So basically, it was an ancient Egyptian idea oh. of a shadow person uh, that, that, like, personalities are made up of, oh. of like, of multiple parts and that the kaibit is the shadow duplicate of yourself. Huh. And, uh, and these kaibits are clones, essentially they're clones of the concubines from the house. Absolute. According to B sharp or flat on Reddit there, uh, the word kaibit comes from the Arabic for shadow slash ghost as well, which then I'd imagine would be pronounced hybit perhaps. Uh, very possible. Huh. Interesting. I don't mm -hmm. know that for a fact, though. Don't don't take my word for anybody who's listening. Uh, that's that's awesome. This is so fascinating. Like, we could have like a whole 15 minutes on each of these words searching down the rabbit yeah. hole on, on Google. That's incredible. Yeah. There's a reason the lexicon earthics exists. Like, this is an so incredible work. We formed the language segment for the for these particular episodes, this run of episodes. Oh, yeah. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely necessary for, for the book of the new sun. This is this is fired me back up. I was like I was just like half energy for the first part of this episode, but now I'm like stoked. Maybe part of the caffeine for the Earl Grey tea is kicking in now too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, sweet. All right. Uh, now that concludes my words. My new words. Other language points. Anything else? My no. Let's uh, let's talk characters. <laughs> I mean, I could. Like there could be infinite language notes. Uh, but let's yeah. talk characters Pickles. because I think there's okay. actually a little more to the character segment this week than normal. Uh, or than than we've had the last few weeks. Um, obviously, we can start with Severian, and I'm going to begin with my usual question for you: How you feeling about him? I'm not feeling. I, I'm so like, I, I 
explain that I was feeling ambivalent last episode. Well, no, I was mostly mostly anti-Severian. Actually, I'm uh-huh. going to say entirely. Um, <laughs> but there are still these little moments where he he makes me want to hope for something more. A, a great example of that in this portion of the reading came at the very end. Uh, no, not at the very end, but right before the last chapter where he goes and turns himself in after what happened to Thecla, what Thecla, you know, has done to herself there. Um, like, okay, I had figured that he was going to either bust her out and then become a fugitive or he was going, uh, he was just going to escape. At no point did I consider himself or him turning himself in. I don't know why. Uh, he, he's sending me so many mixed signals that the disparity between what I want him to be and what he constantly shows himself to be, it, it's, it's just getting wider and it's stretching and it hurts even more. I'm, and because <laughs> of that, I'm just, it's very just, I, I don't, I'm still, I can't say I've budged at all anymore towards Severian or being a fan. I'm just, eh. I mean, raising his fist to, to, to threaten striking, a striking, striking Thecla. I just. The, the Kybit, the Thecla Kybit. Uh, sorry, sorry, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Thecla Light, or Knock Off Thecla, yeah. Um, no, I just... Uh, I'm not yeah. saying yet. Like this this yet. segment is very complicated for him, because he does some things that show the... You know, the rightness inside of him. Like you brought up, the fact that he turns himself in. He does what is legally the right thing to do. Uh, and you could even look at what he does immediately preceding that as also like a mercy, right? That he, instead of letting this torture take its course and ultimately having Thecla like kill herself in a horrific manner slowly over the course of a month or two, he gives her the mercy of the knife so that she can end it swiftly. And when there, you know, an, another example, when Master Gurlos is showing her all of the different instruments of torture. And because of the way they're standing, Severian is able to, behind Gerlo's back, reach out and hold her hand and comfort her in that moment. Hmm, that felt selfish to me. I thought him, like, this is this may be one of my last chances to, you know, hold her hand. That felt selfish to me. That's how I read. So, why, though? Why am I predisposed to just... Why, why am I cocked and loaded for a negative interpretation yeah. of... Of a gesture of kindness. I don't know. I don't know. Now, uh, just a brief aside. Did I hear you just say you don't understand what happened with the torture? You did. Yeah. Okay. You actually... Wow. I'm surprised that while you're explaining something so succinctly <laughs> and still elaborately, which is kind of you know, hyper, oxymoronic there, but yeah, I did actually... I started to say that. I'm still a little confused as to what the hell happened with his torture. She's... There's this demon that gets involved and she's like hallucinating and she's going to waste away in some sort or she's going to have a a really miserable final few weeks i don't understand Mm -hmm. the entire so the clue is in the name the the revolutionary Revolutionary. it it turns your mind against your body so there's a revolution within you and Uh, you view yourself as evil and and that you must destroy yourself that's odd okay yes dang yes very cruel Wow. Still, there's there's a lot going on in, in, in yeah. these machines that I just... Ugh, just... Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Now, uh, I want to go back to Severian, though, because Severian. there are two ways to look at the events of these last couple chapters. And I'm not going to tell you which way I prefer to think before I go over these, because I want you to kind of think about them as... a with a fresh mind. So there is the way that Severian presents the events that he is angered that she calls him a sweet boy. And he realizes she doesn't view me as a man. Like he's clearly in love with her at this point, you know, and, and he hopes he thinks about perhaps breaking her free before realizing, Oh, it's not really going to be doable. But, and, and he also kind of rejects it because even if he were to successfully break her free, she would never see him as anything more than just a sweet boy. And he gets angry. Yeah, that's and what... And he says yeah. he has a feeling, this kind of almost precognition. He goes up to Master Gurlos' office, searches through his desk, 
and finds there the orders for her torture. And then he is ordered to take part in the torture, which makes a lot of sense from the perspective of the masters where it's like, you know, Severian has a unique relationship with this, uh, this person. So using him as part of the torture is in itself a form of torture for her. Uh, And it's also testing Severian's loyalty, you know? And so he, he's forced to be part of this and then he does what he views as mercy and gives her an out because he doesn't think a, that he can break her out and b that even if he could, it would work out the way he wants it to. So you can look at it that way. And then he does the right thing by going and turning himself in. The other way you can look at this is Severian brings the other woman to the cell and Thecla calls him just a sweet boy. And he gets angry and he goes up to Master Grillo's office. And of course, Master Grillo's is not there. And Severian could have forged orders. He could have made orders for her excruciation because he was angry at her. And then <laughs> after doing that, as his anger comes down, he feels bad. And like you said, in that scene when he holds her hand, that could be him trying to comfort himself more than her. And then feeling guilty about it, goes and steals the kitchen knife, sharpens it, and gives it to her to kill herself. Those are the two ways you can look at this. Because we know Severian lies. We know he omits things. We know he is not entirely truthful about the story he's telling us. Now, if he had forged such an order for excruciation, would not the masters then have a lot of questions about why have, where did you get this? Why haven't I seen this before? This hasn't come across my desk yet. Well, but that's the thing is it just did. He, he left the orders on master Grillo's desk. And Master Grillo's was gone, so he could get back to his office and be like, if oh, a messenger the, came by and dropped the, the case, orders off. If that was the case, I'd want to go back, because now that I'm thinking about that, I want to go back and read it four or five more times to see if there's perhaps another clue. Because if there's not, then I think we're reaching a little bit. But if Gene Wolfe did want to do this, that would be so brilliant, but I, I would want to see... So there's there's also the, the very suspect thing where he's like, how would he possibly have known that there were going to be orders for Thecla's torture the next day uh, after was, these... The, all these months a, of nothing happening. And he's like, this day, I just have a feeling. And it just happens mm. to be the day that he's really angry at her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I, another, I also considered and dismissed another possibility in this moment. It's coming back to me now where I was thinking, okay, so maybe everybody who enters has this order and they just, they know that this has already been established that she has this order for excruciation, but it's, it's the putting the order underneath the table and forgetting about it, pretending you don't see it is how they're circumventing torturing her mm-hmm. i thought maybe he maybe it's just granted that every single client for lack of a better term there which is horrifying in, in itself uh just has their own order of excruciation and it's, it's just you know ignoring some in how this place functions i was considering that as well yeah but also a possibility but then i thought oh well then he just went and grabbed it and then showed it to the the masters and they would be like yeah we know about this why did you bring it out so i just know i'm like no rob that's dumb you're reading too far into it yeah, but he I'm definitely didn't go to the Masters. <laughs> I'm reading into it. Yeah, he never engaged with Master Gurlos about this until he was summoned to help with the torture. Like, he he just goes and finds it on the desk and then goes to the tomb to think about, like, perhaps helping her oh. escape. He doesn't talk to Master Gurlos or, like, mm. go and show him the order or anything. He How just leaves I it on the desk. How did that in then? Yeah. Ah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, well, it's suddenly a lot less of a stretch to consider option B. Yeah, there's that oh that segment ends. You know, the Ch- the Chatelaine Thecla had said I was, quote, rather a sweet boy. And some already mature part of me knew that even if I succeeded against all odds, I would still be rather a sweet boy. At the time, yeah. I thought it mattered. And then there's a page break Ugh. and then. The next morning, Master Gurlos ordered me to assist him in performing the excruciation. Mm. Oh, boy. That's so dark, man. Oh, man. Man, oh, man. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling we're just 
just just we just got our toes in the water here. Yeah. So I I have a a strong predisposition toward one of those options. Uh, maybe I'll tell you what I think at the end of the book because I want you to like okay. think about that. I don't want to just like tell okay. you, oh, I think it's this, but uh, but yeah, because that's this is one of the most crucial moments in the entire story for Severian. You know, this is when he betrays his his oaths and he leaves the guild and sets himself down the path for everything to come. Mm. And he may not be being honest with us about it. Wow, would that be a shock even at this point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so let's let's talk about Thecla now. So since, we have to? Since she did. So there is a bit of foreshadowing to this, of course. I mean, it's not really... It's so... It's, I don't know if I'm, I hesitate to call it foreshadowing when it's just spelled out so clearly. Um, there is a reference to the Thecla I remember. The Thecla who lives in me. And this was still pages before the big mm-hmm. reveal, right? So I just wrote down, is she going Pepsi? She's going she's gonna to die? Oh, no. And... Uh, yeah, that happened, you know, very shortly. I had assumed this was going to be an end of book thing happening. Nope. Nope. That was just the first whiff of what Gene Wolfe was cooking. And yes. And served immediately. Immediately. It was and this goes back to, uh, this goes back to what I was talking about last episode, where she plays a little bit of what we would expect from a traditional mentor role. And like many mentors in fantasy books, in fantasy series, she dies. Yeah. Really. But she does much earlier than you would expect here. Uh, And at the same time, it may feel like she didn't do a whole lot of mentoring. Like, we get some philosophical conversations. That's how I felt. Still feel. Um, But there is another layer to this. Uh, How much do you buy Severian's account of the events when Thecla came on to him? Oh, uh, do you think Severian actually never had sex with her? You asked me that question and phrased it like that. What's that say again? Do you think he actually never had sex with her? Uh, oh, I thought you were asking if he made up the entire thing about her coming onto him in the first place. You mean the fact that he left? Yeah, I totally bought that. That's a very young, uh, fragile ego, uh, scared, nervous teenage boy thing to do. I absolutely bought that. I was actually Mm. in the moment going. Huh, I'm surprised he didn't uh, gloss over that or, or he didn't uh, lie here. That's, that's a remarkably honest thing to do because it's pretty embarrassing to just like admit that a woman like that came on to you, especially at this young age, boastful kind of age, hormone-ridden age, and just say that you ran away. That's just not something I thought capable, uh, not something I thought Severian capable of admitting hmm. is how I should say that. Huh. I don't know, man. I, I, I'm still thinking he there he told the truth. It's just, it's too shameful and hurtful to, to just, like, not be true. Okay, we'll revisit that. You have a look on your face right now. <laughs> you definitely do. I mean, I'll just I'll just tell you outright. He and, he and Thecla absolutely slept together. Did they? So, yes. He's full of s*** again. Yes. Um, many, many times well, over the months. He, maybe he was raised not to kiss and tell. Who knows? Huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, but so she, she plays a bit of that mentor role. She really does. And she helps him become a man in that. Okay. Yep. Yeah. In a strange twisted, like reverse. Cause he, in, in many ways, he holds all the power in this relationship because she's a prisoner. Whereas the typical mentor relationship, the mentor of course is, you know, like the wise old wizard or, you know, the Jedi Master or whatever. That is cool. That is an interesting way to approach that. Yeah. Huh. In, a, in, a, in an inverse power dynamic than what we're led to yeah. expect. It's awesome. That's cool. I and then he that. kills his own mentor. Or, a, yeah. or he wow. produces he... the means for her to kill herself. Yeah. Oh, yep. that's dark. That's so dark. Boy. <laughs> Now, uh, the only other character I have 
um, to talk about here is the master of the house Azure. What'd you uh-huh. think about this dude? The dude, the dude with the phallic uh, necklace piece, whatever the hell that that was. Yeah, a vial around his neck, inside his robes, shaped um, like a phallus. I thought he had a very interesting business model. Besides that, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't look closely at all. Should I have been? The House Azure has been, I don't know, mystified up until now. Now that you, now that you've asked me, you've, you've definitely. Uh, I would, I would say keep, keep an eye out for people that match his description. Androgynous, uh, wearing yellow robes. Okay, perhaps. Yeah. What the? F- okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm writing this down still. That's why I'm going all silent here. Keep an eye out for sus. <laughs> sus. All right. Um. Yeah. I'm and so sus androgynous. Uh. <laughs> let's move on to any miscellaneous points that we have before we uh talk about our favorite passage and wrap this Ooh, thing up. that was going to be my miscellaneous point here. Let me see here. Ooh. Let me see here. Let me see here. Uh, we talked about the, the magic there. Oh, there's something off about this ceremony with the maid and her head being struck from her shoulders and Severian waving it away as some fooligan cloak trickery and then he dismisses this obviously fake blood on the blade that must have come from some contact with the wax or something like that. This was just, it read very weird to me. Something was off. There was something uncanny about it. And I'm imagining that uh, this is, this is a type of scene that scene that's going to read very differently on a reread. I'm just calling that now. Uh, probably it's, it's definitely not clear on a reread. Uh, there's, there's okay. absolutely weird stuff going on here. I mean, just the description of the girl who apparently it's the same girl who shows up every year and she never ages. She looks exactly the same, you know? And and of course there are multiple ways to read that. If, if you want to think of Severian as really lying about his memory, he could just be remembering wrong and expecting her to look the same. And so he thinks she does personally. I lean more toward the fact that he does have a really, really good memory and it is an identical girl, whether it's the same girl or not whether it's actually a girl or some kind of robot or clone or, you know, or whatever. Spirit but, or goddess, zombie, something. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay. But yeah. That, that was, uh, I just, that one made me sus and I needed to bring it up for this week. Um, I had briefly wanted to talk about the etymology of Thea, but let's actually, I'm going to save that because I imagine that's going to be more appropriate uh with more information Thea? about uh, Thecla's half sister, half her half sister, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Also, uh, yeah. I was sorry. I was I was thinking of um, also before T H E I A, which was uh, an astronomy thing for like the uh, massive collision theory for like the Earth. It, it, that's a whole other thing. We'll we'll talk about that when we get there. But um, yeah. Sorry. I'm just. I don't think I have any other miscellaneous points here. I'm rattling them off. I, I normally have these far better organized. I have a whole miscellaneous point here. No, I do have my my passage ready. What about you? Miscellaneous points? Uh, yeah, I got one. Okay, throw it. No one from without the guild has dined with us at Holy Catherine's feast for more than three hundred <laughs> years. When a yeah. lieutenant of the guard, so it is said, <laughs> dared to come for a wager, there are many idle tales of what befell him as that we made him seat himself at our table upon a chair of glowing iron. None of them are true. By the lore of our guild, he was made welcome and well-feasted, but because we did not, over our meat and Catherine cake, talk of the pain we had inflicted, or devise new modes of torment, or curse those whose flesh we had torn for dying too soon, he grew ever more anxious, imagining that we sought to lull his fears so we might entrap him subsequently. Thus thinking, he ate little and drank much, and returning to his own quarters, fell and struck his head in such a way that he evermore upon occasion lost his wits and suffered great pain. In time, he put the muzzle of his own weapon into his mouth, but it was none of our doing. Yeah. How's that for some exposition that's totally needed? Uh, wow. How's, how's that for sus? <laughs> Oh yeah, we didn't do anything to the guy. The torturers, we no. didn't. We didn't touch him. He just that happened were, to fall and that, strike his head. <laughs> that reminds me, yeah, of this one story that I saw about this one man who had stabbed another man. Then he ran. Then he he ran into 
something like five U.S. Marines who were just off duty at the moment. And uh, after his altercation, uh, he was picked up by the police with so many injuries with like a dislocated jaw and a broken eye socket, eye socket or occipital bone and several cracked ribs, all, all sustained from a fall onto the sidewalk or something like that. It was, it was a lot of fun. It, it, <laughs> yeah. I love how much Gene Wolfe can say or how much Severian can say without needing to say it without, I mean, it's, it's still pretty, it's kind of blatant, but it's fun. I don't mind it. I love it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I laughed. Every time I read that passage, I laugh about it. I mean, it's super morbid, but like he, he Severian talks about how many stories there are about this and how they all involve some version of this dude being tortured. And then he's like, none of them are true. According to the lore of our guild, he doesn't even say like, no, we have like a direct account. It's like, no, no, according to the lore of our guild, it was this extremely convenient set of circumstances where the guy got drunk and hit his head and ended up committing suicide. <laughs> and then immediately following that chapter, we get another chapter where we see Thecla tortured and she commits suicide after. Oh, that's a good point. I considered that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Ooh, but I feel like that would have jumped out on a reread. Okay. Oh. <laughs> That's just one of those things where it's like Severian may not even really be like consciously lying to us there, but it's like, dude, like have some critical thinking for a moment. Like <laughs> mm. all God. these other people say this dude was tortured and then you're just going to blindly believe the propaganda of your own guild. No, no, we totally didn't torture that guy. <laughs> yep. Yep. But we're going to retell it and laugh about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah. This is such a dark place. Yeah. So let's um, let's talk I, about our favorite passages. I'm glad we're geographically removed from that place. Yeah. All right. Favorite passages. Ooh, 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 ooh. Actually, okay. Before favorite passages, I'm Good glad up. you just Good. said that. Geographically removed. Uh huh. So this is Earth, right? We're talking about Earth. I don't want to talk about this. I have so many scientific issues with this. Go ahead. Yes, yes. So, the Feast of Holy Catherine is described as occurring at the fading of the winter. Right? Mm. Yeah, right? So, spring. Yeah. The feast day of Catherine of Alexandria is in late November. November 25th. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. That's off. Now, or is it? It's not if oh, you're in the Southern no. Hemisphere. Especially when the passage or, or the selection that we read this week ends with the sentence. Uh, the sentence is, North lay the house absolute and the cataracts and Thrax, city of windowless rooms. North lay the wide pampas, a hundred trackless forests, and the rotting jungles at the waste of the world. We are in oh, South America. To the north. We are in South America. Uh, and that's why, like, okay. all the wildlife that he's talking about are, like, South American animals. Like uh, peccaries and, and uh, like, Yeah. Pursue the peccary with pardon limers. Yeah. Wow. I love that. And the other hint to this, of course, is you're like, oh, well, you know, the fading of the winter in in the Southern Hemisphere, well, that would really be more like September, not November, you know, except the sun has cooled a whole bunch and winter's longer. God, that's so makes me, that that's that's where I can't I can't. That's just there's so many things wrong with that. So many things wrong with that. But okay. But you said the sky is darker, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The sky is like when he says that the sky is blue. It's like a it's a, such a dark blue as to nearly yep. be black. I mean, sorry, we we opened the gates. <laughs> I was gonna <laughs> write that. I was just gonna slide that one off. I apologize, everybody. I'm being obnoxious. Oh, okay. I got favorite it up, favorite passages. 
Oh, yeah. I just, I closed my phone and then I had to, sorry, one second here. I got worked up. Okay, my favorite passage. Hey, funny, we're talking about uh, the sun again. I saw the red light of the sun again and breathed that wet wind that tells in winter that spring is nearly come. It's kind of funny that we were just literally just talking about this tail end of winter and spring being on the way and talking about the sun, but that was it. That very Dickens-esque, almost, that breathed the wet wind that tells in winter that spring is nearly come. I loved it. Very, very, uh, very beautifully written. Nice. How about you? For me, actually, uh, another signifier of the seasons changing. The lilies faded as lilies do, and the dark death roses came into bloom. I cut them and carried them to Thecla, nigrescent purple flecked with scarlet. Mm-hmm. Nigrescent almost made it into my list, but I figured that context. I got it. Yeah, yeah that one's pretty easily. Like, it means like yeah. black, blackish. Yeah. With, yeah. Uh, but I especially love that first sentence, the rhythm, like it, it's basically a poem. It's, it's a stanza from a poem. The lilies faded as lilies do. And the dark death roses came into bloom. Like there's, there's meter and rhyme to those, wow. to the halves of the sentence. I would need to read that out loud to even realize that. Yeah. Just beautiful awesome. writing. I'm gonna have to start reading more of this out like aloud so that I can, uh, appreciate it in different ways <laughs> oh that's a whole new d- dimension to these books that i hadn't even considered yeah that's awful. now i i will say i'm very excited for next week because next week has one of my favorite passages period and we're gonna talk in, in depth about it so <laughs> okay all right i'm gonna see uh, if i can actually select this passage and guess it next week give me an opportunity to guess this passage before we actually unveil what it is okay okay yeah sound like fun Sure. Cool. cool. Okay. Uh, yeah. Right. So I think that's a, a wrap for chapters nine through 13. Uh, shall we talk about uh, what we're drinking today? A little final draft here. Yeah. As I made a uh, brief mention of a few minutes ago, I'm drinking uh, Earl Grey tea. Sorry. I said Earl Grey tea earlier. I meant to say Lady Grey once again, a bit of a lighter flavor. It's not quite as dark, not quite as bold. Um, not as good as it could be with <clears throat> artificial sweetener in the place of sugar, but you know, that's just a choice I made for today. Um, light bit of caffeine doesn't have too much however my tolerance is quite low as I've also explained before a few times if it's not obvious already but yeah a little bit of tea to wet the throat I've been having terrible <coughs> terrible <laughs> allergies all day in case it's not obvious I, uh, this episode has been quite a trek for me but uh, the, the lady grey tea did make it um, bearable besides the super interesting conversation of course but the lady grey tea also <laughs> helped Nice. So that's what I've been drinking. All right. Well, I am drinking what has become a standard for me, my Fever Tree Elderflower Tonic Water. But I, of course, have a beer to talk about as well. And this is a Vienna lager from Garfield Brewery in Indianapolis, Indiana. And a Vienna lager, you know, this is a a classic style of beer. Uh, It's going to be very malty like light bodied, um, easy drinking, but malty, a little, little bit of caramel sweetness to it. Um, a little bit of breadiness to it. Uh, I, I really like this style of beer. It's, you know, when, you know, if, if I decide to get back to drinking this summer, uh, Vienna lagers will be on the menu for those like 9,500 degree days. Uh, it's that kind of, yeah, that kind of a tasty, refreshing beer. But this one goes out to the uh, the patron of the guild. This beer is called Saint Catherine. Oh man! Literally, no better part for any better book to bring this particular beer on. I can imagine. Though uh, I will nice. say it's Catherine with a C and an E instead of a K and an A. So you know it's not exactly the same, but <laughs> ah, still. Yeah. Still though, yeah, that's nice, nice, and it's dope. It's pretty good. Yeah, I, well, I've never tried this. Well, beer. you haven't tried it. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. Sorry, but uh, that's right. Yeah. And we don't have Lauren to tell us because she's tried everything. I imagine uh, she is at work right now. She's yeah. actually right now. She is apparently uh, putting wax on the tops of a special beer, uh, the bottles of a special beer that uh, Worldworks is going to be releasing 
I, I presume in a couple of weeks here for their big invitational festival. But, I need to find a new job. Putting wax on beer. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's like so basically you you wax seal around the cap so that people can yeah. store it and it won't get oxidized or anything. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. It's so cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So this has been episode 176 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Or wait, 175? I can't remember if we decided what we what we decided to do with Locklands. This will be after Locklands at some point. I don't know. Call it 175. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so episode 175 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Next week, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be continuing on with Shadow of the Torturer. We're going to be covering chapters 14 through 18. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's some crazy stuff that goes down. Uh, I'm really excited for it. If you want to support the show, as always, you can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud or on coffee, ko-fi.com slash inkingoutloud uh, for a one-time donation. But if you subscribe on Patreon, you get access to all kinds of awesome extra content. Uh, You can request uh, books for us to read. You get early access to episodes, access to original short fiction written by the two of us. It's a good time. As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.